Tonight's uh, reading continues from the First uh, John chapter two, verses seven through eleven. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word is the word that you have learned that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in Him and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Church, amen. Go ahead and have a seat, everybody, and let's turn in our Bibles to 1 John chapter 2, verses 7 through 11, as we continue our series through this great book of the New Testament. Today's passage, very simply, is about love. All you need is love, or so the song goes. But the message title for today is different than that. I want to talk this morning about this, did I say this morning, this evening, (laughs) about the love that God loves. What is the, the love that God loves? Church, there is a kind of love that Christians display one to another that puts a smile on God's face. Did you know that? There's a kind of love that Christians display one to another that God applauds and God rewards. There's a kind of love that is not just typical of a Christian or required of a Christian, it's actually evidence of regeneration, of new life in Christ Jesus. Assurance of salvation is actually fostered by this love, this kind of selfless, sacrificial, Christ-like love demonstrated in the Christian community. It's called, it's called one another love. It's love for one another, the, the people in this room, the people who know Christ. This is the love that God loves. By the way, this word love in Greek, agape, is used 33 times in 1 John, 39 times in the Johannine epistles. The verb that's Connected to that, agapao is used 28 times in 1 John and 31 times in the Johannine epistles. This is a major love, right? What we're talking about here? This is a major, if not the major, theme of John's writing. And most of the time as John's talking about love, it's, it's in the context of loving one another, showing love between brothers and sisters in Christ. This is the love that God loves. So let's get practical before we even get into it this morning. Let me just tell you all, every time that you go to another brother or sister's house who just had a baby and you share a meal with that new family and you demonstrate through the giving of that meal love to another person, can I just tell you right now, God loves that demonstration of love. It puts a smile on his face. Whenever you show genuine hospitality to another person. 
either inside the church or outside of the church, inside of your own home, inviting people over to your house for a meal and, and fellowshipping with them. When you do that as an act of generosity, as an act of love, that is the kind of love that God loves. It puts a smile on God's face. And whenever, here's another way we can do this. Whenever you hold another Christian's hand or grieve with them over a sin or maybe some trial that they're going through and listen to them and empathize with them and counsel them and comfort them, that is the display of love that God loves in the church that puts a smile on his face. This is what Christians do. This is one another love. And this is the essence of the passage that John wrote so many years ago, 1 John 2, 7 through 11. Today's message is pretty simple. It's about loving one another. And really, I, I see these verses in outworking of this series title, Love One Another, because this is so central to all three of John's epistles. So, three things this evening, three ways that you as a follower of Jesus Christ can, can do something that God loves. Here's the first. Let me tell you, church, God loves to see you shining his light in this world. In verse four, John, sorry, in verse eight, John writes, beloved, I am writing to you no new commandment. Notice, if you have your Bibles open, notice the first word in verse seven, beloved. If you have an ESV, it says beloved. If, if you have an NIV, it says true friends, or you might have something different there, but I actually prefer the translation beloved here because it, it links with this larger concept of love, agape. The Greek word here is agapetas. Beloved, it's a noun that's built on that word agape. So before John even states his desire for the church to love one another, he wants them to know, beloved, you are beloved. And I think that's intentional because he could have used a lot of different words here in verse seven as he's transitioning the subject matter of his epistle. But he, he says, no, beloved, those of you, and, and what's the reference there? What are we talking about? We're talking about people that are loved by God first, and they're loved by John too, the faithful apostle. And that frames everything that follows in the verses that follows. Jesus said, just as I have loved you, you are to love one another. Where do we get the source? Where do we get the strength to love one another? Pastor Tony, I don't really wanna love the people in this room. And it's hard. Where do I get the source of strength for that? Jesus says, just as I have loved you, you also love one another. Oh, okay. That way. Unconditionally, even. What's interesting is, I think I mentioned this in the intro to this book. John, he's often called the apostle of love because this theme is so prevalent in his epistle, these epistles, and then also his gospel. But John was not always recognized as a loving person. In fact, one of the descriptions for him, you know, Jesus called him Boanerges in Mark 3, verse 17, meaning a son of thunder, because he had something inside of him that was excitable and, and was the opposite of love. On one occasion, he was going through the Samaritan village and, and he, they were rejected Jesus. And John, you know, said, Lord, should we call down fire from heaven and just incinerate all of these people? How dare they? That's not very loving. 
Something about this guy and something about his relationship with Jesus changed his heart. And he became, as he self-identifies in John chapter 20, the disciple whom Jesus loved. And now, here's this old man writing some 50 years after Jesus' death and resurrection. And he's, he's known this way, he talks this way, he thinks this way about love, love, love. It's, this is very critical to him that we understand what it means to love one another and to start everything off right. He says, beloved, beloved, loved ones, I am writing you, verse seven, no new commandment, but an old commandment that you have heard from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. Then in verse eight, let's follow the train of thought here because this is fascinating to me. At the same time, verse eight, it is a new commandment. Which is it, John? Old commandment, new commandment, not a new commandment. It is a new commandment. He's playing both sides of that. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. So what, uh, is it a new commandment or is it not a new commandment? Is it new? Verse seven, is it not new? Something old, something new, something borrowed, something blue. What are we talking about here, John? Well, it's actually, it's new and it's not new. It's a commandment. We're talking about a commandment here. What, what commandment? It's a commandment that's as old as time, but it has new implications in light of recent events. And, and it's a command that's always finding new ways to express itself. By the way, there, there are two Greek words for new that are used in the New Testament. Neos is the word, which typically means new in respect to time, like something novel or something being generated for the first time. That's, but that's not this word, neos. Instead, John uses this other word, kainos, which means new in respect to quality. You might use the word fresh to, to translate this word. So it, it's like, Think of a, an old recipe that you found of your grandma's and that you put a new twist on and you brought it back into the light. Think about a, an old piece of music that, that got a new lease on life with a modern adaptation. You know, think about a Ford Mustang, okay? Anybody with me? Old but new. A new iteration of that that's better than ever. That's the idea here. And what is this old new thing? What is this commandment? The commandment that John has in mind here is explicitly stated in verse 10. He's a little cryptic here, but it has the idea of loving one another. That's it. That's the old new commandment. That's not a new thing, not strictly speaking brand new, but boy, it's given a new force in Jesus Christ our Savior what it means to love one another. By the way, this goes all the way back to Jesus's life and ministry where Jesus said this, John 13, 34. Jesus even said, a new commandment I give you that you love one another just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. It actually goes farther back than that. It goes back to the Old Testament, to the idea of loving your neighbor, Leviticus 19, verse 18. That was an important part of the Old Testament paradigm and specifically the law. What was the law about? 
It was, it was about ultimately how to love and respect and care for one another. It wasn't just Leviticus 19.18 that emphasized love. We also see in the Shema in Deuteronomy 6 that we are called to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. So we, that's vertical, right? We love God. And then in Leviticus 19, it says to love your neighbor as yourself. Now, Jesus takes both of those, that vertical loving God and the horizontal loving one another, and he puts them together. And he says, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. You, you want to know what it means to be a Christian, to live it out? Here it is. Love God and love others. So this is a new commandment because Jesus commanded it many years ago. And that the commandment even predated Jesus, but Jesus gives this commandment fresh life and vitality. Jesus gave that ancient commandment a new benchmark because he showed us a love that surpasses any love ever shown before because he went to a brutal, bloody cross to die for his friends and save them. And that's, that's love like we've never seen. And Jesus says, you see this exemplar? You see what I'm doing for you? You love each other like that. You imitate me in that way within the church. John says, it's a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him. That's Jesus and what Jesus has done for you. And it's now in you. Because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. In other words, as Christians grow up in Christ, Darkness dispels. Darkness, that's a metaphor for, for evil, wickedness, sinfulness. As we grow up in Christ, as the light starts to shine brighter in our lives, the, the darkness dispels, it dissipates. Light grows, darkness dissipates when Christ's, Christ's love is demonstrated among the people of God within the church. So here's some questions for you. So, I mean, some of that can be really abstract, and you're like, love, okay, yeah, I got it, Pastor Tony, but love is a verb, right? Like, how do I do this? How do I live this out? Well, let me ask you some questions in that regard. Search your heart in this. Do you love one another the way that Jesus expected us to love one another? That is sacrificially, giving of your time, energy, and resources for the benefit of another. Do you love your brothers and sisters in Christ more now than you used to? That light, as it increases in your life, should increase. It shouldn't be like, yeah, I used to love them, but now I hate them. That should be the other way around. Here's some other questions to ask. Do you shine more light than darkness in your life now than you used to? Do you have a growing increasing appetite for holiness and is that demonstrable in your life? Not just holiness, but also light bearing in the way that you love one another. Is, is the darkness of your sin and your selfishness passing away more and more each day? It should be as a Christian. You know, John gives us these these two tests at the beginning of this book, in chapter one and two, it's, it's tests to discern our affiliation with Christ. Are you in Christ? Do you know Christ? The first test has to do with holiness. Do I walk in the light as he is in the light? 
Am I increasingly walking in the light as he is in the light? That's the first test. So that as a born again believer, you're like, yes, I am. Not, not perfectly, but increasingly. The second test has to do with love. Do you love your brothers? Do you have an increasing love for the church, for your brothers and sisters in Christ? Both of those are evidence of, of a life that's been transformed by the gospel. Growing holiness, growing love for the brothers. Several years ago, I ran across a friend of mine that I played basketball with in high school. And just tell you back in high school, he wasn't my friend. I didn't like this guy. And I wish I could go into great detail about how aggravated this guy made me, but we'll just leave it at, I was aggravated, okay? We didn't like each other. And I think a lot of it had to do with, I, at the time, was a professing Christian. He was not, and there was some resentment between us. Well, I, I found him on Facebook, and I think he, bef I think he friended me f first. So I, I begrudgingly befriended him on Facebook. Y'all have any of those begrudging befriendships on Facebook? But then I started to see his posts, and it was like, wow, that doesn't sound like him. And then I started to read more in his bio and, and details. I was like, this sounds like a Christian. What happened to this guy? So, you know, I sent an instant messenger to him. It's like, what's the deal? What happened? Tell me your story. And, and he walked me through this process of conversion. Even, in fact, he told me that, you know, he grew up as a Christian and then in high school, he wasn't a very good person. Then, you know, later in life, he came back to the faith that he grew up in. And now he's a faithful follower of Jesus Christ. He's trying to live it out. And I was like, boy, if, if all the people that I knew in high school, I didn't think it'd be you doing this. And you might wonder, like, how, I was wondering, how can this be the same guy? How could this be the same person that I, I despised and vice versa so much? It's only possible by the power of Jesus Christ to take a life like that and change it from darkness to light. Because when I look back on his life, it was darkness. It was wickedness. It was, and by the way, there was a fair amount of that in my heart back then too. The Lord in both of our lives transformed and changed us and allowed us to shine light into this world. So let me, let me ask you, church, okay. Where's that light shining in your life right now? Where you can see the darkness dissipating and increasing radiance as you live out your life before the world? Is it shining brighter than before? Are you still chasing darkness? Are you, I think it's helpful to ask questions like this introspectively. Are you more humble than you used to be? Are you more holy than you used to be? Are you more loving than you used to be? Are you more like Christ than you used to be? Do you love Christians, Christians more than you used to? God loves to see you shining his light. You can write this down as number two, and this is related. God loves to see you shining his light. He also loves to see you loving your brother. Loving your brother. Now, quick clarification, brother. I'm this is a dangerous thing to do, but I'm using that term brother gender 
neutrally here in reference to both brothers and sisters. So sisters in Christ in the room, if you want to put brother slash sister right here, go right ahead. Because that's what I mean. We're talking about the love that a Christian shows to brothers and sisters in Christ. God loves to see that. God loves that. And just, just so you know, the opposite of this statement is true too. God hates to see you hating brothers and sisters in Christ. In fact, John says that this is a telltale sign for an unbeliever parading around like they are a believer if they've got hate in their heart for professing Christians. That doesn't jive. Look at verse 9. Whoever says he's in the light, what, what does that mean? I'm in the light. I'm saved. I'm a follower of Jesus. I have eternal life. If I have that light, whoever says I'm in the light, but hates his brother, counterfeit. It's not real. Whoever says he's in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Now, earlier in 1 John 2, 5, just look back a few verses before this. John talked about the love of God, and John said, whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. That was the love of God, and that's the first reference to love in this book. But now we're moving beyond the love of God to love for brothers. And not just love for brothers, but also hate for brothers. John Calvin said once about this, he said that love for brothers and love for God, they're so inextricably bound up together that they can't be separated. In other words, that, that essence, that that substance of loving God inextricably bound up in that is love for the brethren. Love for your, you can't rip that out. I love Jesus, but I hate, I hate the church. You can't do that. That's evidence here of somebody who's still in darkness. Now, let me clarify this because some of you who have a sensitive conscience, you're, you're going to struggle with this. John's not talking about a Christian who temporarily manifests hate in their heart for a brother or sister in Christ. Okay, I'm guilty of that. I'm sure there's other people in this room that are guilty of that. We're not, we're not talking about one moment of weakness. And, and I don't even think we're talking about somebody who, who's in a period of backsliddenness, wallowing in a sinful state. This word hates here in verse 9. Whoever says he is in the light and, and hates, this is technical, but, but hear me on this. This is a present active participle in Greek. And it indicate, indicates ongoing action. So it's not like a momentary lapse. It's not like a struggle with sin. That you, this is like an ongoing, I hate this person. And I refuse to forgive them. And I won't let go of this bitterness I have in my heart towards them. John... John says that's evidence of unbelief. That's, that's a faker who's feigning following Jesus. He may say he's in the light. He may think he's in the light. He may, he may have convinced himself that he's in the light. But he's not. He's still in darkness. And his unsaved state is, evidence, is evidenced by his disdain for other believers. I've wondered about the context of this. Like, what was John dealing with in this church that makes him say this so, so brashly and directly? There must have been false teachers circulating whose 
Gnostic proclivities caused them to disdain their brothers. You know, I'm all up in my head about my faith. I'm all up in my head about how, how awesome Christianity is, but I hate all you hoi polloi out there, you little folks. And John's saying, if, if they don't love you, if they don't love the church, they don't love Christ. That, that doesn't jive. It's evidence of counterfeit. By the way, this, this is not a one-off statement by John. Look at, and I hate to lead you to material we'll preach later, but just quickly, quickly, we'll look at some other verses here in First John. Look at First John 3.15. John says, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Also in 1 John 4, verse 20, he says, If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he, does not not, for he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And then he says in verse 21, Anyone who loves God must also love his brother. It's a great test for counterfeit Christianity. Is this a person who has real legitimate, born-again faith? We're dealing with a counterfeit. A few years ago, I was in Kuala Lumpur in Malaysia on a missions trip. And while I was in KL, we went, we went down to Chinatown, which I imagine it's like a lot of the Chinatowns in the rest of the world. You can buy a lot of really great knockoff products. And so if you want a Rolex, you can go down there and you can get a Rolex. <laughs> if you want a Louis Vuitton handbag, you can go get a, a Louis Vuitton handbag. If you want a pair of Oakleys, you can go get some Coakleys and wear them. And, and you know, I'm not really great at discerning like what's legit with that kind of stuff. It all looks good to me. I don't know. And actually, some of the counterfeits, they're better than that. They, they look like the real thing. And it's not until some time passes and you can see like, okay, this, the craftsmanship of this is not what it should be. Sometimes even with, I don't know this from experience, but I hear... With a Rolex, the only way you can really tell is you got to crack it open and see the, the workmanship inside of it. I'll take their word for that. Similarly, there's a lot of counterfeit Christians out there. There's a lot of weeds growing in among the wheat. To use Jesus' parable. They walk like Christians. They talk like Christians. They go to church like Christians. They maybe even listen to Christian music on the radio. But some of them are, are counterfeits. And John wants, John wants you to know how to spot them when you see, see them. In fact, he's already given you one of these. He said in chapter 1, verse 6, If we say we have fellowship with them, while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. In other words, a life characterized by darkness instead of light that's counterfeit Christianity. Also, he writes in chapter 2, verse 4, whoever says, I know him, I know Jesus, but does not keep his commandment is a liar and the truth is not in him. Therefore, verse 6, whoever says he abides in him 
ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. He'll walk in the light as he is in the light. In other words, let me say it this way, because I know this is a struggle, and I'm not always out there trying to find out who the counterfeits are. But a life of rampant sinfulness is not consistent with following Christ. Everybody with me? Also, a life of rampant lovelessness is not consistent with following Christ. Sinfulness, lovelessness, to know Christ is to have a growing love for your brothers and sisters. You can't love Christ and hate those who Christ loves. You know, what husband in this room, if I hated your wife, you'd be okay with that. Similarly, Christ doesn't like it when people hate his bride. He's partial to her. He loves her despite her flaws. Now that's the negative way to look at this. John, John gives you the negative first. Whoever says he's in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. But there's a, there's a positive way to view this as well. In other words, as, as assurance of salvation. And the way that this is framed, I think is not just, not really like to, to inspect who the real believers are, but, but to do a little self-inspection. How, how do I know that I'm legit? How do I know that I'm saved? How do I know that I belong to Christ? How do I know that I know, that I know, that I know that Jesus died for me and paid for my sins. Well, consider verse 10. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. In other words, one of the great gifts that God gives us in terms of assurance of salvation is you have this increasing, almost unexplainable love for other believers. Not perfectly, don't get me wrong, and I know you get those people that rub you the wrong way, I get it. But generally speaking, you have this, you don't even know how to explain it sometimes. I, I just love, I love church. I love coming, I love talking to Christians. I love hanging out with people. They some people at church, they don't even look like me. They don't talk like me. They went to A&M, and I still like them. This is actually one of the most basic tenets in the New Testament. Let me, are y'all feeling this? I don't think y'all are feeling this enough. Give me some more evidence, Pastor Tony. I'm going to work our AV team a little bit here, okay? So y'all just feel the weight of this. This is really designed in the New Testament to to build your assurance of salvation. You hear these verses and you hear this theme repeated in the New Testament, you're like, yeah, it's me, yeah. 1 John 4, 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Why do I love like I do? Why do, why do I care about these people like I do? Something transformative has taken place in my heart. I'm saved. 
1 John 4, 11, beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. You might say, that's just 1 John, Pastor Tony. Here's Paul, Romans 13. Paul says, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. Whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. That's a fascinating statement. I wish I could go into that right now. Romans 12.10, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Ephesians 5, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. 1 John 3.16, you know John 3.16, do you know this one? This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Let me comment for a second on the final statement of verse 10, because this is important. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light. So there's, there's eternal life and the light of God inside of me manifested in my love for the brothers. Look at the end of verse 10. And in him there is no cause for stumbling. John says the person who loves his brother and therefore abides in the light gives no cause for stumbling. It's a really vivid metaphor here. Because what happens in darkness? Well, Sonia and I, we have a bit of a routine at our house. It's like whoever's the least tired has to turn the lights off downstairs before we go upstairs. And there's this really precarious moment from the time that you turn out your kitchen lights to the time that you get to the top of the stairwell. And I mean, you not, you might not make it safely. I mean, could be a power cord you trip over, could be a lamp, could be a cat. Usually it is a cat in our house. And that, none of that is a problem when the lights are on. You see all, all the, the, stumbling, the, the obstacles that could get in your way, they're, they're perfectly viewable. But in darkness, you just kind of grope and grasp and hope for the best as you're walking along. Here's the point. Here's what John is communicating with this metaphor. If you love your brother, truly love your brother, and are thereby walking in the light, there's no stumbling you don't stumble because of unforgiveness in your heart. I hate that person. You don't stumble because of, of malice or envy that gets stuck in. You shine light on that dark place and you turn away from that darkness. You don't stumble because of infighting in the church. There's no cause for stumbling when you love your brother. You don't and I'm not sure which way this stumbling goes. Are we talking about stumbling for yourself or you being a stumbling block to, other person, to another person? I'm not sure it's, it's not both here. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling. One of the things that I've noticed is that when 
there's lovelessness in the church. You know, when there's infighting and when there's divisiveness and when there's church splits and whenever that happens inside the church, boy, that, that creates a horrible testimony to people on the outside of the church. And that, that really grieves me. When I was a kid, we used to sing this song. It's kind of an eerie song. I don't, I don't know how many of y'all know this. You know, they'll, they'll know we are Christians by, and they'll know we are Christians by our love, by our love, this they'll know we. Y'all know this song? It's, it's a creepy song. But there's truth in it, right? Like, that's the way it's supposed to work. People on the outside look in, and they're like, man, that, they sure do love each other inside of the church. That's the way it should work. When it doesn't, it's, it's a bad testimony to the world. And I, you know, I don't have this experience personally, but it, you know, I, I deal with a lot of young people that have kind of grown up in the church and then they abandon the church and now they come back to the church. And a lot of them are broken up because I, I grew up in this church and there was all this infighting and everybody was always mad at each other and there's always divisiveness and it, it grieves my heart. It's not the way it's supposed to be. There's supposed to be this Christ-like affection and love for one another that evidences a genuine faith and following of Jesus. And that's what we pray for here. I don't want to be a stumbling block to other people by my lack of love for brothers and sisters in Christ. Warren Wiersbe tells a story once about this blind man who was carrying a a flashlight walking around in the dark. And somebody came up to him and said, why do you have a flashlight? You're blind, you can't see. And he said, I, I have a flashlight, no, not so that I can see you, but so that you can see me coming. I don't wanna be a stumbling block to another person. John wants the people in the church to love each other so that they don't stumble themselves, but also so that they don't stumble other people. And he's telling the church here, you got to love each other. It's not an option, you know, for the Christian life. In fact, you're, you're in danger of damaging the reputation of the church if you don't do these things. Okay, Pastor Tony, we get it. How, how do I do that? What does that look like? This love for one another. Okay, let me... Let me ask you some probing questions. When was the last time you opened up your home to another believer and shared a meal with them as an act of love? And you did it not for selfish motives, but just to bless another person. When was the last time you asked a fellow believer how are you doing and really meant it, really took the time to listen to them. Not as a formality at church, but in an effort to really get to know somebody or to, to carry their burdens or to, to listen to their joys or to their struggles. If you're married in this room, when was the last time you turned to your spouse and said, I love you without wanting something in return? 
He just said it as an expression of your gratitude for that, that person. By the way, those of you who are married in this room, man, your wife is your sister in Christ. You know that, right? And wives, your husband is your brother in Christ. He's more than that, but he's at least that. And you don't, whenever you treat people other than your spouse better than you do and, you know, as, as lower than a brother or sister in Christ, that is an epic fail. They're, they're more than that, but they're at least that. When was the last time you gave of your time and your energy and your resources to bless another person as an act of love? Maybe even anonymously. Can I just tell you that sometimes it's really fun. Just kind of show someone some love and they don't even know where it came from. Speaking of love, here's a great statement on love. Tell me if y'all have heard this before. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Y'all heard that before? That's so good, that should be scripture. 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient. Are you a patient Christian? Love is kind. Are you a kind Christian? Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It doesn't insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. I feel like I'm preaching to the choir this evening. This is the Wednesday night crowd. And I know most of y'all are amening this because you're living this out, but it's good to be reminded of these things. God loves to see you loving your brother. Finally, one more thing. God loves to see you, thirdly, distancing yourself from darkness. So, shining his light, loving your brother, sister, God loves to see you distancing yourself from darkness. You want to please God? You want to put a smile on his face? You distance yourself from the darkness of this world. You, you put aside the sinful habits of your youth, of this world, you turn from sin, you confess it, and you move away from it. John says, whoever hates his brother, verse 11, is in the darkness and walks in the darkness. We don't want darkness. And does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. 
John is practically quoting Jesus here because Jesus basically said the same thing in John 12, 35. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in darkness does not know where he's going. Those words made a lasting impression on the apostle John. And now here he is quoting Jesus 50 years after his death and resurrection. And the state, the, the point of this statement is clear. Hate for Christian brothers is evidence of darkness. Darkness is evidence of blindness. Hate, darkness, and blindness are not the characteristics of a born-again follower of Jesus. These are the characteristics of an unbeliever. These are the characteristics of someone who's stuck in darkness. Let's talk about hate, because this, this is tough. You know, I, I think sometimes as Christians, as we deal with you know, malice and, and envy and, and, and anger and hate. That's a really strong word. I think we can be in, inclined to kind of self-congratulate. Well, you know, I, I'm not Hitler, Pastor Tony. I, I'm doing good. I haven't killed anybody in the last, mm, you know, 20 years. Great. But, but let's think a little deeper than that in terms of our Christian faith because... At, let me just ask you, is there a person in your heart right now that as you think about them, a brother or sister in Christ, that stirs your emotions to the place of grinding your teeth, angry, borderline hate? Is there a person who, if they took a seat next to you right now, your skin would crawl and your blood would start to boil because of the vitriol and the malice that you're holding in your heart for that person. Y'all don't have to answer that question to me, but in your own heart, Look, I love you, and, and I'm your pastor, and I'm here to tell you right now, you got to let that go. you got to forgive. Because, not because it's compromising your salvation or, or anything like that. I mean, if that's all you're filled with, then okay, maybe. But the only thing that's destroying is you. And you... You've got to forgive them. You've got to love them. Even if your love for them is never reciprocated back. Even if they wounded you deeply. Whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness. I heard Alistair Begg say this once. You can read this on the screen. This, this, is, an, this is an old pastor sharing his heart. Nothing has disappointed me in my experience of Christian living more than this fact that Christians don't understand that true love weathers storms, that love comes through conflicts, love faces the fights, love deals with the disagreement, love forgives those dirty, rotten sinners at church 
because we know in the depth of our heart that we're dirty, rotten sinners too. I say, how do I do that, Pastor Tony? How do I get to that place of forgiveness? How do I deal with that, that hate in my heart? How do I forgive and love the people that have hurt me? Well, you've got to embrace the power of the cross. You've got to access that power that is stronger than the hate in the human heart and stronger than the pain that's inside of you. You've got to look to the cross where God the Father gave his only son to be tortured and crucified and brutalized and murdered so that we might not perish but have everlasting life. You know what the scariest verse in the Bible is? Can I just share it with you right now? John 13, 34, Jesus said, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Jesus said that before he went to a cross and was brutalized for our sin. Now you go do that. Love y'all. Aren't you glad you came on Wednesday night? I'll close with this. There's a great British missionary from the 20th century. His name is C.T. Studd. And his story is really fascinating. If you know anything about this missionary, he was a, a famous cricket player in England, which is a big deal. We don't even know what that is here, but in England and in other parts of the world, it's the most popular sport. And he was famous for being a great cricket champion. He also earned a law degree, which was a rare thing in that day. And yet, he forsook all of that. He forsook his fame in England. He forsook his law degree. He, he had great family wealth that he inherited. And he left that all behind to be a missionary. And he traveled to different places around the world. He went to India, China, Africa, telling people about Jesus. And people thought he was crazy for that, you know, giving up all this stuff in order to be a missionary. Well, Stud died at the age of 70 after nearly 50 years of faithful missionary service. And there are some out there even today who think it's crazy what he did, giving all that up to chase this missionary dream, to give this up in order for what? You know, maybe some successes on the mission field. And C.T. Studd, in his life, he said this. There's a quote he's famous for. He said, If Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. If Jesus Christ be God, and he is. Can I get an amen, church? If he is, and he died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. 
Not, now, don't, don't misunderstand that. Like, we're, we're paying back God for what he did for us. That's, that's bad theology. It's, he loved me vertically, so now I'm going to love others horizontally. That's the idea here. Now, not all of us are called to be missionaries in Africa. Not all of us will die on the mission field. But all of us have been called to do three things in this passage. Shine the light of Jesus in this world. Love your brothers and sisters in Christ. We can do that in light of what Jesus has done for us. And distance ourselves from the darkness of this world. That's what God has called us to do. This is the love that God loves. Now, listen. That's the love that God loves. Can I just tell you, there's a love that God hates. Did y'all know that? There's a love that God hates. And I'll tell you all about it next week. Pray with me. Lord, rampant sinfulness and rampant lovelessness. Save us from that, Lord Jesus. We know, Lord, the, the transformative work that you do in our hearts, that's a, that's a supernatural thing. And Lord, I pray to the God who has the power of salvation and the power of sanctification, that you would do that in our hearts and in this church. Lord, that you would increase inside of this body of believers, a love for one another that would cause waves in this world, that would make others point and take notice and admire what you have done in our lives, God, do that, I pray. Lord, help us to love one another. Help us to serve one another. Help us to do it in a way that's tangible and not just abstract and, and conceptual. Lord, even right now, by your Holy Spirit, would you give specific ways to people in this room? Show them how they might, even tonight, even this week, express their love for one another. Lord, and I pray for maybe some in this room, Lord, who do have that tender conscience. Show them, Lord, the way that you have grown them and matured them as a follower of Jesus, showing, showing more love to brothers and sisters in Christ and bringing into their hearts the assurance of salvation that comes with that. God, do that, I pray, in this room. In the name of Jesus, amen.